And those of us who are parents, when we baptize our children as, as Catholics, we make promises to God to raise them as Catholics. And that means that they are going to have to be prepared to go out and in the world and to live courageously for Christ every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to True Presence for Catholic Moms. I'm your host, Kelsey Pascarell, and I help Catholic moms like you find the path out of overwhelm and exhaustion to a balanced and prayerfully designed life, no matter what your circumstances are. Today, we have Kimberly Begg with us to talk about raising our children to grow in the habit of moral courage. Kimberly is a mom of five, editor of the Catholic School Playbook, project advisor to Run With Saints, and director of programs and general counsel of the Ortner Family Foundation, which is working hard to revitalize faithful Catholic education and community. Kimberly is also the author of the book Unbreakable, Saints Who Inspired Saints to Moral Courage, which is the topic of our discussion today. We're diving into how to find the balance between sheltering our children from the secular world and equipping them to handle it. So if this is a topic where you are seeking information and wisdom, stay tuned. Kimberly has some great advice for parents in the modern age. Kimberly, thank you so much for being with us today. Guys, Kimberly and I go back quite a number of years, and this is just such a cool moment in terms of seeing God's long-term plan at work in our lives. Because back when I was a teenager working my first job, Kimberly was actually my supervisor as at that internship. And I'm just so excited to introduce her to you guys. We have, uh, Kimberly is the author of Unbreakable, which is a fantastic book about how saints inspired other saints. Kimberly, I was just wondering if you would mind giving us a little background about how your book came to be. What inspired you? What really brought this to life? Well, first of all, Kelsey, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. Um, I have done quite a few interviews for the book since it was released over the summer, but I think this is the one I'm most excited about. I mean, it is just such a neat thing, like you said, to see God's magnificent work in the world. And to see the people that he puts in our lives and to see kind of how it all turns out. And um, it really is just, um, it's remarkable. Um, and it makes me sort of wonder even more what God has in store for each and every one of us. So I guess that's probably a, a good place to start about um, how the book came uh, came about in the first place. As I look back on the year that I wrote the book, I'm actually just even amazed that it came about at all. I mean, this was a time in my life when I felt like I barely had time to return a text. And yet, you know, somehow I managed to write this um, book about four saints and the 10 saints who inspired them and, and to have this message to families to try to help them win heaven. But I look back and I just kind of wonder what it was that God really was what was trying to do every single step of the way. But to tell you the story of how it it came about, you know, I was on staff at Young America's Foundation for almost 15 years. And before that, I was a student. So this is an organization that I have been involved with my entire adult life. And uh, I had helped uh, establish a program called Standing Up for Faith and Freedom. And it was a program for students 
at Catholic high schools and Catholic colleges. And um, I was invited to come speak and to give a presentation. And I wanted to give a presentation on Blessed Yerji Papiushko because he is just one of those saints who has inspired me for a, a very, very long time. Uh, if you're not familiar with his story, he was the very courageous chaplain of the Solidarity Movement in communist Poland after World War II. And he, you know, very courageously and very articulately told the people of Poland um, and really throughout the Eastern Bloc and throughout the world that they have dignity as a human being made in the image and likeness of God. And he made it very, very clear that the government that was denying their dignity, denying their freedom, and not allowing them to worship God in this, this atheistic communist state, that it was a, an illegitimate government. And he helped people see the reality of the situation um, and the reality of their oppressive state. Um, and because of that, he was such a threat to the communist government. He, he is a martyr. Um, he was killed by the police in communist Poland. But in researching his life for this presentation that I was going to give, I discovered that as a child and then throughout his life, his favorite saint was St. Maximilian Kolbe. And St. Maximilian Kolbe is the courageous Franciscan priest who gave up his own life to save another prisoner at Auschwitz um, during World War II. Well, Blessed Jersey was a child when he discovered this story about St. Maximilian Kolbe. And he actually learned about St. Maximilian Kolbe at his grandmother's house reading Knights of the Immaculata, which was Father Kolbe's newspaper. So when I made this kind of amazing discovery and then I shared it with the students at that wonderful program, um, there was somebody else at that program. And it's somebody that I've known for a, a very, very long time. It's uh, Paul Kangor. So um, Dr. Kangor has had a long relationship with Young America's Foundation has spoken at many conferences. So I have known Paul for a long time. And seeing him in person, he just kind of shared, you know, I'm doing some editing for TAN. Um, if you happen to know of any authors, you know, let me know. Well, it, that sort of stuck in my head. And about a week later, I just reached out to him and said, hey, I don't know if you saw my presentation, but do you think this would make a good book? Um, he wrote me back and said, yes, I just watched it. I do think this would be a good book. Can you can you can you can you write me a proposal? So um, I can't even begin to tell you how casual the proposal was that I sent him. Um, he shared it with the TAN team. They asked for something a little bit longer, and then I sent them a longer proposal. But Kelsey, I I knew that they were going to publish this book. You know, I'm a completely unknown person. I've never published a book before, but in my heart, I knew that this book was going to be written. Um, and I'll tell you, I was never anxious. Like, what if they don't accept my proposal? I just knew. Um, and this is really interesting because I'm so unfamiliar with the world of publishing. And since then, I've, you know, sort of chatted with authors and they've told me, you know, how many proposals they send out to different publishers and, you know, how difficult it is. And even well-known authors, you know, who have published many books, they often will go to many different publishers. But I'll tell you, in my heart, I just had this weird calm about it. Um, like I was going to write this book and Tan was going to be my publisher. And if you, if you know anything about Tan Books, it all makes so much sense because this is a company that just is dedicated to trying to educate and prepare saints to 
live out in the world and then to spend eternity with God in heaven. I mean, it's just that, that, that kind of the perfect fit with tan, um, it's just, uh, it, it, I guess it's, I guess it's just all too perfect is what I'm trying to say. Well, um, I have to say too, you know, it's just, I think it's one of those clear marks of the Holy Spirit at work too, is when you are working from that place of peace, that is just so clear that only the Lord can give you that peace when he is saying, this is the work I've assigned you. And you can rest in that confidence that he's going to make the pieces fall into place. Now I want to ask, because I, first of all, I, I loved your book. Um, I read it and, uh, listened to it on audiobook as well. And, uh, one of the things that you have as this, uh, what do you call it? This uh, recurring theme throughout is this concept of courage as a habit. Yes. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Cause I think often when we're thinking about courage, we're thinking of in the moment and those, especially when we're thinking about the saints, those big moments in their lives, like when they were martyred, but you talk about it, not just at those points, the courage as a habit through their whole lives. Yeah, I think I'm going to start with um, the, this, the modern world out there. Yeah. We do live in this very, um, you know, very broken world. And I think a lot of us as baptized Christians don't really understand what it means to be a child of God and what duties we have as children of God. And those of us who are parents, when we baptize our children as, as Catholics, we make promises to God to raise them as Catholics. And that means that they are going to have to be prepared to go out and in the world and to live courageously for Christ every day. And I have noticed something um, through the years, and that is that there are a lot of you know adults who are giving advice to younger people that I think is really, really soul endangering. So I have, I've noticed people that I respect, people whose work I really admire, um, have given young people the advice of keep your heads down and just get through it. You know, just get the good grade. But I have to tell you, Kelsey, that if we are advising our children to keep their heads down um, as teenagers uh, and as young adults in our 20s, in order to just get ahead a little bit more in the world, we are going to be teaching them the habit of acting not courageously for Christ, but in cowardice. Um, and even worse, they're going to be knowing that it was because of the advice of, of these very you know, well-respected people um, that they're going to call it prudence. And I think that anybody who practices cowardice and calls it prudence is really going to be putting their souls in danger. And, and think about it this way, not only just their souls in danger, but those that they are entrusted in their own lives with also caring for. So their spouse, their children, you know, others out in the world, in the workplace. So their families and the whole church and the whole world are going to be worse off for it. So yes, this idea that we must develop a habit of living courageously for Christ at a young age. Um, you're right. Is it is a recurring theme throughout the book? But the and way you're talking, I mean, this sort of thing is, it's a very uncomfortable topic because we are in a world where we're just, there's so much intimidation. Well, and I'll tell you though, it's, you know, we are are, are really setting our, our kids up for failure if we don't acknowledge those those smaller moments where they need to be cor courageous. And I'll, I'll kind of explain to you what I, what I mean by that. 
So there are moments every single day when we leave our homes, um, when we're not in church worshiping, where we're still expected to be Catholics and and live our faith um, and acknowledge the truth of our faith. And, you know, by doing just very little things, like by wearing a miraculous medal, I wear a miraculous medal every day. I can't tell you how many people um, have, have, have admired it not knowing what it is, and it gives me a chance to, you know, to tell them what what it is that I'm wearing. I have several children who wear scapulars every day. I also have um, several children who wear these really cool Catholic t-shirts um, that we've given them, you know, in their Easter baskets and, and other things through the years. And they're very proud of this. But what that does, a couple different things, is it gives them the, the, the confidence of wearing it and they become very used to it. And when people ask them about it, what that does is it not only becomes more a part of their identity, but I'll tell you, it puts the other people on notice. Like, this is who I am. And it, instead of assuming that they are more like the world, it is actually assumed that they are doing something different. And it, and, it, and, it's, and it is very mysterious to those who are not raised in um, homes of faith, but it puts them on notice so that um, when something does come up, it, it's not a complete shock when, um, when 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 your children are refusing to participate in something that is 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 so obviously sinful. Um, but there's little little moments. You know, we tend to censor ourselves in ways that um, you know some of us might not even realize that it's happening because we do it often in just a split second. You know, a few days ago. Um, I had to bring uh, one of my daughters to the doctor and the doctor was asking, you know, so, you know, when do these symptoms start? Well, I could have easily just said, well, I guess, you know, Marielle, you know, when did you have that school event? And we could have kind of counted the days from there. But instead I said, you know, honey, um, what day did we have the All Saints celebration at your school? You know, and let me just tell you what happened. Um, The nurse's eyes lit up, right? Um, and she got so excited and she said, all saints, my, my church's name is all saints, you know? Um, but it was just kind of neat because we've all become so accustomed to this, to accepting this lie that our faith should be lived in private. Mm, but yes, every single day, you know, every single day when you go out to have a meal, you know, making sure that you're saying grace and you are blessing yourself. Don't just say it by yourself. Um, but it, 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 it emboldens us and it helps us, um, you know, really identify with our faith, but you never know what it does to somebody else. I'd love to ask you just sort of as a follow-up on that. Um, we have like the different ages and stages of our children's lives. And there is this um, transition between insulating them from the wide, wide world and also exposing them. Could you walk me through a little bit of your perspective on that as a parent of five children and how do we, you know, how do we embolden them, but at the same time, preserve their innocence when it's rel- when it's the right time to do that? Okay, that's such a fantastic question. And I'll tell you, I, I have the answer. It is the church's answer. And the only reason I know this, because you know nobody ever told me this um, as a new mother, I certainly never learned it in my catechesis. I never learned it from the church. My dear friend, Layla Miller, um, who wrote the foreword to the book is the person who told me this. And there is a, a period called the latency period. Are you familiar with this in a child's life? Not. I'm very curious. Okay. This is a really important parenting concept. Um, A child's innocence must be protected up until puberty. So, you know, it's a great question to have like, oh, I want to prepare them. I want to arm them with truth. 
if you start telling a a, a child, you know, um, a, a little child um, about, you know, don't worry, you are a girl. And there are these boys out there who are, you know, saying that they're girls and there are girls that are saying that they're boys and they're getting surgeries done and they're taking these drugs and, um, and, you know, you really start um, presenting them with some of the chaos and brokenness and lies that are out there. You are going to damage their their little emotions, their their their, their little souls. And um, as parents, we must protect them. So it would be wrong for us as parents to try to train them up and be strong enough and be courageous enough as little, little kids. As, as a gardener, I sometimes think about it too, like um, gardening is one of my hobbies and we have these seedlings that they're not ready for transplant until their stems are strong and able to withstand the weather. And I think about it a lot like that with parenting too. Like if we transplant them too early, they're not going to hold up to it. But I love that there's an actual time. So you say puberty is the end yes. of this latency period. And that's a teaching of the church. That's really cool. I did not know that one. It's really neat. And then in puberty, it's really case by case. Like you kind of have to know your kid and know what the evils are out there. So I have, uh, I have um, three teenagers now. One probably goes out in the world a little bit more than the other two. Um, and I know that I have to keep a, a very, very careful eye on it. In fact, um, he did spend so much time sort of outside of our church community over the summer that I was really careful that when he wanted to do a certain activity this fall, that I searched for act activities that were very, very close within our circle because I'd felt that he'd maybe spent a little bit, a little bit too much time um, outside of our circle. He's a lifeguard and um, he also does musical theater. And he had just spent time with, with people who just have not um, had the same opportunities that we have had to really understand the truth of the world out there. Yeah. And so what is your approach to introducing your children to the world? So um, I remember years ago telling my kids, uh, you know, all the craziness of the transgender movement um, came to Fairfax County first. And um, this was the movement's um, sort of, you know, this was ground zero for them. And they wanted to win over uh, Fairfax County and they were trying their strategies here. And as and you've Fairfax, seen, it, it has, for those who don't know, um, Fairfax is just outside of Washington, D.C. So it's a political epicenter. But I remember telling them and I started going to the um, uh, the board meetings, you know, um, and, and I would just, you know, get up and I would speak and, you know, other parents would, too. And I remember coming home and telling the kids, you know, um, you have responsibilities out there. You know, your responsibilities are to God first and to your family. Um, you, you should be watching out for your church community, your school community, right? But there's this broader community out there. And I do not think that we should be turning a blind eye to all of the destruction going out there and all of the, you know, the, the physical suffering and the emotional suffering um, that is happening in a world. You know, I, I've heard a lot of Catholics say, um, you know, it's not my vocation to be an activist. And, you know, fair enough. Um, we are called all of us in different ways um, to, you know, unite our will with God's will. However, I don't believe that any of us is called to just ignore the suffering out there. And um, so that is one way that I, I, I sort of introduced them was by is by, you know, sharing, you know, some of the suffering and then, you know, tying that to some of the eternal truths that we have in the church and you know, it's always fascinated me that the, the social science has always confirmed um, the, 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 the 
that what God tells us to do is good for us. You know, that children who are raised in a home with a mother and a father and their natural siblings um, until they are able to go out into the world, um, they are more secure emotionally. um, They are healthier in all ways. And they have fewer divorces themselves as as adults. And um, they are just, you know, more secure, happier, more successful uh, individuals. Um, and they understand human flourishing in a way that those who come from broken homes do not. Yes, um, absolutely. But I, I think that's across the board. I think, um, you're so right that when we keep that perspective, that what God teaches us is for our own good. It, and Chesterton describes it, um, as a playground with a fence between the playground and the cliff. And so with that fence there, the children can actually thoroughly enjoy it and, uh, you know, savor the playground. But without it, well, those are our, the laws that the Lord has given us that are written there to protect us, to help yeah. us and enable us to live that flourishing life. And I'm so, so glad you just mentioned G.K. Chesterton because, you know, his writings on the importance of the imagination and developing a, a Catholic imagination I think are so, so important. And I think that goes into kind of another motivation of of mine for, you know, wanting to write the book and, you know, even a motivation of wanting to learn years ago about uh, Blessed Yerji Papiushko and, and Maximilian Kolbe. And that is because, you know, the stories of the saints are just such a blessing that the church preserves for us and um, has passed on throughout the years. But you know, when those stories are in our imaginations, they become a part of us, you know, as much a part of us as our own memories. And we can draw on them in a very, very real way. I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was writing the book, um, that I would just be sort of out in the world and um, just kind of thinking about, you know, Joan of Arc, you know, and, and thinking about how um, how much courage it took for her to even take that very first step as a 16-year-old farm girl out of her house to start on this journey that must have seemed so absolutely fantastic and impossible to her at the time. Um, but she obeyed because she loved God with her whole heart. Um, and all she wanted was to do God's will. Um, and, you know, we are going to have the same kind of inner peace that even Joan of Arc, through all of her trials, had. Um, if every single day we are looking at it as this adventure of how do I do God's world out there in the chaotic, broken world, you know, outside of my home? I love I love that. I love the story of Joan of Arc, too, because I think you know, we see the courage of the battlefield, but also too, one of the things that she shows us is the courage of the march, because so much of life isn't those big moments too, right? It's that daily grind. Like even you writing your book, just getting your word count in a little bit at a time. It's like that long trail in the wind and in the storms and on the soldiers' rations. It can't have been pleasant, but that's what courage looks like sometimes is that just putting one foot in front of the other to the next task. And, you know, the, the road that she had to travel in order to even get to uh, Charles VII, the Dauphin, um, to, you know, before he she even had to convince him that, you know, God has sent me to help you to drive the French out of England. Before he even she even got in front of him, she had to travel a road that was 350 miles um, with escorts who, by the way, wanted to violate her chastity um, until they spent time with her 
And their hearts were just so affected by her holiness. Um, and they came to really admire and and want to want admire her and to want to protect her, you know, on that road. But that whole journey was, you know, f- filled with the enemy. I mean, the enemy was was everywhere. But the, even the fact that you know God protected her on that 350 mile journey, um, you know, he, God never stops calling out to us, and we need to respond to it. You know, so I think all of the saints in the book really illustrate that principle. You know, God is never going to stop calling out to us to do his will, but it is on us to respond and we can shut him out um, and we can go try to have our fun um, knowing that it will never satisfy us um, and knowing that it will never give us, you know, true peace and true happiness. Um, But and we also should know that that there is going to be some suffering and sacrifice out there, but also to know that it's okay. Um, you know, that there is beauty in suffering. There is beauty in sacrifice. Um, and there is a, an inner peace because it is God's will. And that's the difference. The difference is that our faith is true um, and that the chaos and brokenness in the world is not from God. Absolutely. And I think too, you're right that it's in the sacrifice. Like we see that in the life of St. Therese of Lisieux too. She wasn't, you know, um, ostentatious or anything. She was so little, so quiet and so hidden away, but she also demonstrated courage just in the daily act of always seeking and doing the Lord's will. Even in just that seeking out the humility and being little was, it's a different form of courage, a quieter form, but still courage nonetheless. And isn't it interesting that Joan wanted to be home with her parents on the farm and Therese wanted to be a courageous missionary. Um, Isn't that? Admired Joan. You know, so I think, you know, I think those of us who... Um, I'm sure you've, you've, you've noticed Kelsey over the years that there are actually the the whole contrast between Joan and Therese is, is one that a lot of women like to, um, point out. Um, and I've heard a lot of women say things like I'm more of a Joan, um, than I am a Therese. And it just makes me wonder, like, if you think that, (laughs) you know, if you think that you're more of a Joan, God just might be calling you to be a Therese. Yes. It can be very interesting. Um, because he does. Call us often to the things that are hardest for us because that's going to be what shapes us, right? It forces us to put aside our own will and unite our will to his. Yep. Yeah. And I would look back at my own life and, um, you know, the different times that I have needed courage. Um, There is, you know, one time in particular, and it was when I was, you know, working a lot and traveling a lot and doing this job that I really, really loved. Um, and yet my my heart was telling me that I needed to be home more with my children. Um, and I went to Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, it was actually, we have this, you know, beautiful shrine in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And it was this, you know, crazy rainy day. Nobody was there. It was like something out of a movie. Um, but I remember writing down my prayer and the prayer that just poured out of me started with to have the courage. And this is, you know, way before I wrote the book. Um, but it poured out of me, you know, to have the courage to leave a job that I loved, that I had worked hard to get, um, that made me feel good, where I was actually doing good work. You know, it's not like, um, you know, I say just building widgets, but, you know, I was doing good work out in the world. It was something I really believed in. Um, you know, so much so that when I even actually told my son, my oldest son, that I was leaving, he said, no, mom, the country needs you. I said, honey, 
<laughs> you need me. I need to be home. Um, but it was courage, you know, and that was what was, um, you know, it's sort of my obstacle for so long was that I didn't have the courage at that moment. Um, and it was a very, very scary thing to have to do. But courage, you're right, takes different forms for each and every one of us. And often uh, God tests us um, in the ways that are, you know, hardest for us. And once you've overcome one obstacle, you know, there's there's a whole nother one there, but you wouldn't have gotten to that next obstacle if you hadn't overcome that first one. It's, It's all about sanctification. You know, it's a whole journey of sanctification. Kimberly, if there is just one thing that you would want parents to walk away from after reading your book that they could bring into teaching their children, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I just uh, finished reading um, Father uh, Sebastian White's uh, commentary in the November Magnificat, right? And it's just, I, I've been thinking about it for days and reflecting on it for days. And, you know, one of the things that um, he shares and reflecting on, you know, the month of November when we are reflecting on our, our own death and on the saints and um, all the souls in, in purgatory is that, you know, we are going to have a judgment at the end of our lives, but then, you know, the final judgment um, at the end of the world. Um, and the reason that we have those two different judgments is because we are not going to know the repercussions of our lives until the very end. I mean, think about it. You know, so many many of us as women, we are moms and how we raise these kids is going to influence how they raise their own children, you know, how they are to their spouses, you know, are we raising young men who are going to be, you know, courageous fathers and courageous husbands? Are we raising young women who are going to be generous uh, to their husbands and and to their children? So I guess the final thought would be, you know, um, we we all have have duties um, to God. And it's not just, just a direct line of, you know, God is there, let me pray for my, uh, my own salvation. But you know, we all have responsibilities that we're going to see the effect of, you know, generations and generations and generations. Um, you know, in, in the introduction of the book, um, I say that uh, we all have, families have um, uh, an advantage over the world, you know, in the battle for our children's souls. And that is we our families are destined for heaven. It's not just that we are destined, our families are destined for heaven. And we have to live our lives like we believe it. Um, And I'll just add one more final thought, Kelsey. Um, I think that building a culture in our homes um, that is very authentically Catholic really has to start with building home libraries that are authentically Catholic and filling our shelves with stories of the saints. It is just one of the best ways to get your kids thinking um, and asking those questions about what God's will is for their own lives and to help give them the courage um, to go out there and to accomplish God's will. I love that so much. And I think it's so true. The stories of the saints, they just, they give us a story for every time and every circumstance and just seeing God at work, no matter what we encounter, there's probably some story we can draw on for some courage there too. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Kimberly. Where can people find your book? So I have a website, uh, KimberlyBegg.com. Signed books can be ordered there. And I also have a completely free study guide that can be used by families and book clubs and ho- for homeschool curricula, um, also for Catholic school curricula. 
Uh, it's available on TAN and it is also available on Amazon. Thank you again, Kimberly. Thanks for your wisdom, your insight, and for the beautiful book that you wrote. I hope everyone who's listening gets a chance to pick that up and look into it. Thank it's you, Kelsey. So worth it. Thank you so much for having me on. This was just such so much fun. Such a pleasure. All right, friends, if you liked this episode, one of the ways that we can get more awesome guests on this show is if you leave a review. So scroll to the bottom of this episode where the reviews are and hit those stars and then write me a little message about what your favorite episode was. I promise to read every single review and keep trying to get you the guests and information that helps you through this mission of motherhood.